9, 10 a.m. interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Glad that you are with us. And uh, this is a program where we talk about uh, good things, news, events, you know, uh, folks here in the local community that are building up the body of Christ. Uh, in the Dallas and Fort Worth Diocese. And it's always a great pleasure when I'm able to speak to one of our priests. And I have a returning guest. Uh, Father Jacob Dancasa has uh, been on before. He is uh, currently serving as pastoral administrator at Holy Family of Nazareth Parish in Irving, where he is about to enter into his second year as uh, the pastoral administrator there. He's also a prolific uh, author. Uh, he had a book that we spoke about uh, not, not too many months ago called Faith, Not Convenience. And uh, this one, as a father and husband, I'm very excited about. His most recent book, which is available now, is called A Spiritual Plan for Families, Preparing Your Home for a Life of Faith, Following the Examples of Saints Who Raised Families. And uh, that is going to be the topic of this interview. We'll tell you how you can get your hands on it and uh, a little bit of the details about it as well. Uh, Father Dan Casa, uh, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so uh, I, I mentioned before we started recording, you know, being a, a busy pastor, especially at a new parish, is busy enough. But you told me that you, you had already written this book uh, previously. You're just now getting around to publishing it. What, what was the, the timing of writing this one? Yes, I, I started writing this book shortly when the COVID hit. And I had, when we are all locked down into our homes and I had some time with me. And so I wrote this and kept uh, revising it and working on it uh, until uh, recently that I decided to publish it. Yeah. I love uh, a couple of things I want to ask you about before we kind of dig into the content of the book. Uh, you dedicated it to your mom, uh, Naomi yes. Hadisa Dancasa. You said, whose example of prayer shaped my spiritual journey. I, I, I remain ever grateful to you, uh, mom. Is your mom still alive? Is uh, she? Uh, tell us a little bit more about her and the influence that she had on you. She's still alive. Unfortunately, she's uh going through dementia at this point, please let's pray for her. But she's still alive. She played a very big role in my life. And I reflected on this in the book, uh, in the chapter on prayer. I reflected on uh, what my mother's role was uh, in my life and how I learned how to pray through her. She was a woman uh, that was very busy. She was a busy woman having a, a very little, small, petty business in the open market. And it was that business that kept the family going. But she still found time to pray. She prayed in the morning. She prayed in the night before she goes to bed. And, you know, she was a vocal prayer. She prays out loud that you would hear her pray. So... We hearing her pray constantly made us to be so acquainted to her ways of prayer and seeing her pray indirectly kind of taught me uh, the importance of prayer. Uh, at that point, I didn't know that influence, but I realized growing up that I was using some of my mother's words to pray mm. because I, I heard her pray often and uh, she prayed in a sort of consistent way that I started using her words to pray. So and I'm not surprised that I went to the seminary and became a priest, and I still felt that my first spiritual formation came from my mom. 
because I, I, I learned how to pray through her. And obviously, until this day, I still use some of the words I heard my mom prayed. Oh. And she, she prayed for all of us. She prayed for different intentions. And as, as I said in the book, that even when I became a priest, her prayer was modified that she was adding me to the prayer constantly, praying for her son, Mr. Priest. And there were times when I I went home and I kind of tried to sneak into her room to listen to her pray again, even as a priest. Mm. And, I heard, and I heard her pray it again with those words and also adding me into that prayer. So she has been a source of my spiritual life. Um, um, from the onset, and this is just by me hearing her and seeing her pray. That's beautiful. Well, uh, God bless her, and we will ask everybody that's listening to pray for her, especially as uh, she she undergoes the the, the illness that you talked about uh, that she's suffering with. And, you know, some people, uh, Father, may say, "Gosh, what does a, a priest know about family life?" And you know, he's never had kids, and he's never been married. But uh, I saw that you said in in the introduction, "My motivation for writing this book is my many encounters with Catholic couples and families in the course of my ministry as a priest." Uh, I think that gives you uh, perhaps uh, even, an even better insight than somebody, you know, of course, I'm living marriage, uh, but you have been able to see it from kind of an outside third, third party perspective of speaking Correct. to so many couples. So tell us about how that influenced uh, the writing of this book. Well, I've been a priest for 17, for 18 years now this year. And uh, uh, all these, apart from my growing up as a child, being a, uh, a child growing up in a family, seeing the struggles of my own family and also looking at the struggles of my relatives in their different homes, their joys and sorrows all together. And being a priest, uh, constantly, we are the people that parishioners come to when they have issues. Sometimes they think the priest has solutions for everything, even we don't. But they come to us all the time because they trust and they feel that we can provide them some peace. And I, I've prepared a lot of young people for marriages. And uh, after the marriages, I followed up with them through their lives. And I've seen couples come to me, young and old, with their marital issues. And oftentimes, they discuss these things. And sometimes you don't even have a solution for them. But there are times, as I said in the book, I just keep praying and asking God to give me the words to speak to them. And all of a sudden, when we get done with our discussion and I see them leaving the room so happy, not because I did anything extraordinary, but because God probably has given me the strength and the words to be able to give them the solace they need at that point. So the sample size of uh, the, the, marriage, uh, the marriages I've talked to, married couples I've talked to, is, uh, I think it's big enough to write even a bigger book than this. Mm. So put together my pastoral experiences about the joys of marriage life from my engagement and relationship with my parishioners and my friends, and also the sorrows too that go without, made me feel that um, I should write from a pastoral point of view what I feel is necessary for people to do to plan their spiritual lives for their families. And you know, we have plans for everything. People have plans for businesses. For a successful business, you got to have a business plan. And uh, even young couples, before they get married, they plan for the reception, for uh, the wedding gown and all that. 
But one thing I've come to realize is that the spiritual preparation is that which is not given any attention. Mm. Such that when, when, when couples get married, then they all of a sudden realize that there are a lot of things they should have discussed even before marriage. Or even as they are married, they need to be open and be able to discuss some of these things. So I felt there is a need for a spiritual plan, just as there is a need for uh, us to plan our future, our businesses, and our lives. So putting this together pastorally, I was able to bring up this book, especially looking at uh, other other saints who have married. And you know, uh, the typical understanding of saints for many people are are people who were either scriptural, like St. Paul, St. Peter, or uh, those priests, nuns, religious who became saints. Not much is being said about saints who really married, uh, raised children, had their ups and downs, struggles like many families do today. So I thought I should go through and, and be able to research on this, some of these saints and, and use them as a model to be able to help families to see that uh, the life they live today is a life that others lived and they lived it with joy despite the joys and struggles of it. And they are called saints today, not because they were perfect, but because they were able to allow God to be a part of that process in their families. So this motivated my, uh, my desire to write this book from a pastoral angle. I have, I, of course, as you said, I wasn't, I'm not married, but I, the, the experiences from my pastoral life, for instance, one who is married may have his or her own personal experience as husband and wife to talk about. But I have a lot of experiences from confidential, from other marriages that many people uh, would, would love to hear about. So put together this, I was able to create this material to help family people to be able to, to bring God into their homes in this way. Beautiful. The book is called A Spiritual Plan for Families, Preparing Your Home for a Life of Faith Following the Examples of Saints Who Raised Families. The author is Father Jacob Dancasa, uh, the pastor administrator of Holy Family of Nazareth Parish in Irving. You can go to enroutebooksandmedia.com, enroutebooksandmedia.com to purchase it. Uh, Perhaps it's at some of the the local Catholic bookstores as well. Of course, you can go to Amazon uh, to get the book as well. Father, you kind of alluded to some of the saints who raised families, and I'm just kind of off the top of my head thinking of uh, somebody like, uh, well, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton was, of course, a, a wife and a mother before she entered religious life. I think of St. Therese's parents, who I believe have been canonized. Uh, who else comes to mind as far as examples that you write about in the book? I wrote about St. Louis IX, King of France. He was a king, and he got married. He had children. And uh, he's also, uh, as, a, as a very busy man, as, uh, as a king, uh, he, he was able to balance his, his royalty with his own family life and to be able to attend to people and bring up his children in the way of the faith. He taught his children how to live in the way of Christ and to be faithful to the teachings of the church. And as a king, he went to houses of the poor and served the poor. And definitely, he was not a perfect man himself. He struggled with short temper and gluttony, but he never allowed his struggles to keep him away from 
uh, bringing God into his family. So St. Louis the Ninth, King of France, was one. And St. Diana Mola. Oh, yeah. It's another person who, uh, she, was, she was a medical doctor and general practitioner and a pediatrician. She married and had four children. Um, during, her, during her fourth pregnancy, she had uh, problems with that pregnancy because she had uh, a, a diagnosed with fibroma. And the, the options were given to her, and one of most, some of the options were to abort the, the baby, uh, but she she stayed true and and decided not to, and she held on to it, and she was able to give birth to a healthy healthy child, and that example of um, steadfastness that made her to see. The sanctity of life is something that uh, every family person should be able to see at this point uh, in their lives. And she, even when the kids were younger, she was taming them, helping them to know Jesus. She did not live so long to see the kids grow. So she died uh, due to complications afterwards. But um, her husband, after her death, uh, testified that she was the strength of his faith herself. And other other saints like um, Saint Elizabeth of Portugal, Saint Leonides of Alexandria, who was the father of Origin, the great Origin himself. Mm. So you can see how that man, the father, a father of the church, uh, was brought up by a man who really knew what it means to bring up his child in the way of faith. He identified. Uh, the gift that his child had from the very initial. He has several children, and he was able to teach them the, the knowledge of Scripture. And we can see how his endurance led him to martyrdom, and through his way of life that his son, Origin, became a father of the church, because if him as a father, he was able to, uh, to, to see what his son I had some talents for, especially in the way of knowing about God, and he never turned his eyes away. He helped uh, his son to to grow in that way. So he's an example of uh, of a family man who was able to give his own time for his children and understanding the different gifts that children have, and to to harness these gifts for the growth of their faith and. Other saints that married uh, include St. Margaret of Scotland. And I included some who are not canonized yet, but they are in the process of uh, being uh, canonized, like Blessed Hildegard Bruhan and mm. Venerable Elisabetta Tasca Serena. These were all married people. They went through life like any of us, and some of their lives were not uh, everything pleasurable. But... Uh, they, they still went through it with joy. So the examples of their lives were used in this to help us understand that uh, in the midst of the joys and sorrows of life, and if we endure and keep our families in the way of it with some consistent plan for the future uh, of, of our families spiritually, uh, we will be able to do our own part, our own part to build the faith in the hearts of our 
our families. That is awesome. I wish we had time to speak about each of the chapters. It looks like there's seven chapters and then also a sample template for creating your spiritual plan, which I think is awesome on page 133. I do want to ask you about uh, one of the particular chapters, and I think it's something that anybody who is raising kids uh, wants to hear your advice on. Chapter 5, Educating Your Children in the Faith. And uh, I know from a personal standpoint, you know, sometimes, you know, I push too hard. Sometimes I pull back too much. It's kind of hard to find that perfect balance of how much do you talk about the faith? You know, well, what, what, uh, give us a little preview of that chapter and what your advice is as far as raising children in the faith. Well, um, this chapter discusses how families can uh, sustain the spiritual life of their family through educating their children uh, on the importance of spiritual exercises that they will do as part of the family. You know, it explains how, how the head of families can teach their children that learning about their faith must be a major part of their lives and hence be, be made as part of their family spiritual plan. And especially areas of concentration here is uh, teaching their family the life of stewardship, and making the home the first classroom uh, for faith formation. You know, if there is anything that we need to do to be able to bring our children in the way of the faith is to help them understand that the faith is built in this domestic church. Domestic church, which is the home, and the parents are the first teachers. As I said of my mom, I felt she was the first teacher of my faith to me in that way. So for every family that should be able to see that, um, that the parents themselves need to be equipped with the basic knowledge of the faith if they will have to teach their children, which means that the parents have to be an example of faith. They have to learn the faith themselves and be able to let the children find a way of knowing this faith. Now, the home as the faith, as the first faith formation classroom, I stress that in that book, because for instance, in our parishes we have faith faith formation uh, sessions, but that is not enough. That is not enough that uh, people in the church are helping to teach our children the faith. All parents should be able to see that this faith is being groomed from the home, mm. and that is why today in many parishes. Uh, this this family faith formation is, is, is the in thing. Like in my parish right now, we have what we call the legacy faith formation that we just started this year, where we want uh, the, the families to be involved in the faith of their children. We just don't want it to be a graduation program where children will see that, well, I'm going in for first communion, I'm done, then I go in for confirmation, I'm done, then maybe come for marriage, which of course is what we see today. But we want to see where parents become part of the education of their children in faith. And the sense, some of the things that uh, I discuss in this book also were part of it, like St. Leonides, as I said, of Alexandra, the father of origin. He was instrumental in, in seeing that his son grew to know the faith. Mm. And we, we can see what his son became today. Yeah. Uh, uh, St. Louis, think of France, helped his children uh, to understand the dangers of heresy. 
by challenging them not to allow their lives of faith to, to be defined by the many heresies prevalent in their time. And some of these things were very deliberate, making uh, the faith to be built in the, in the heart of the children. So this particular chapter is challenging parents to say, listen, don't just let go of these children and think we send them to faith formation classes in the church and that's it, that's enough. They learn from us. The majority yeah. of time, the children stay outside the church. And they have been influenced by school, influenced by, uh, by friends, influenced by family. And we, as a family, must be the strongest influencers of our kids. Yes. And another part that I want, uh, and I want to, be, to stress He's here. He's got about 30, 30 seconds left, Father, if you could. Uh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a life of stewardship where yeah. parents have to consistently show by their own way of participating and volunteering in church, uh, help their children understand that it is very important to be part of the church in that way. Yeah, yeah, very important. It's it's a it's a wonderful book. Uh, I'm very excited to read it myself. I, I thank you for writing it because I I know it's it's very badly needed uh, among Catholic families. As I hear you talk, it just you know it, it's it's such important information. So uh, the the book again is called A Spiritual Plan for Families: Preparing Your Home for a Life of Faith, Following the Example of Saints Who Raised Families. The author is Father Jacob Dancasa. Again, he's a pastoral administrator at Holy Family of Nazareth Parish. You can see he's implementing these uh, strategies at, at the parish level and how important it is for parents to be actively involved in the education of their parents. Uh, you can pick up the book uh, by going to enroutebooksandmedia.com. That's E-N-R-O-U-T-E, booksandmedia.com. Uh, also uh, Amazon and uh, maybe some of the Catholic bookstores have picked it up as well. Uh, Father Jacob Dancasa, thanks so much. I wish we had more time. It's a fascinating topic, and th thank you for being on with us today. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for having me, and I look forward to seeing you soon, too, uh, as just, just for us to continue the conversation in a different way. <laughs> well, let us know the next time your next book comes out or, or anything, and anything we can do to talk to you. So it's always fascinating to talk to you, and thank you for uh, being uh, such a, it's an amazing shepherd for your, your community and even beyond with this book. Uh, appreciate it very much. Uh, this has been the interview of the week here on KTH 910 AM. Thank you to Diane Xavier for running the board. Thank you for listening. And if you have future suggestions uh, for interviews, you can email me directly, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks. The Archangels Men's Network of Catholic Charities of Dallas invites all the faithful to join them as they host Breakfast with the Bishop on Thursday, September 29th at 7.30 a.m. at St. Paul Catholic Church in Richardson. Join Dallas Bishop Edward Burns and guest speaker Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia for an inspiring talk and morning. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit ccdallas.org slash breakfast. Esther Fernandez is a realtor with JP and Associates and a sponsor here on KTH 910 AM. She's a parishioner at Holy Spirit Parish in Duncanville and a supporter and volunteer with the Guadalupe Radio Network. Our real estate market remains strong and interest rates could change. There are first-time buyer programs available for teachers, nurses, police, and firefighters. You can reach Esther by calling 214-845-1753 or by email at estherzfernandez at gmail.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-Z Fernandez at gmail.com. 
Hello and welcome to the KTH 910 AM interview of the week. Uh, hope you are doing well and uh, thanks for joining us as we talk about a lot of good things going on here in North Texas and the local Catholic world. And I was delighted to uh, be able to talk about this topic today and uh, interesting connection, the Friends of Los Niños is an interview that I did with uh, the founder and uh, chairman of the board now, Gerilyn Kaminsky, many years ago, before she became uh, the executive director, as she is now of the Catholic Pro-Life community. And uh, she recently put me in touch with the current president of Friends of Los Niños, whose name is Katrina Villarreal, who is joining me by phone to talk about uh, this group that's doing great work in the country of Honduras, uh, which is a country in great need. So uh, that's what we'll be talking about. Also, opportunities for you to participate and support them through a sponsorship program and also what's called the Welcome Home Project, where they're actually building homes for people in need in Honduras. So, uh, Katrina, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I, I went to the website, uh, org and saw a little bio uh, about you. And it, it looks like you have been doing these mission trips to Honduras for almost 20 years. And you've been there a whole lot. Can you, can you tell us what is the connection between you and Honduras and Friends of Los Niños and uh, why it, you, it, yeah, it's so special and important to you? Yeah, I'd love to, Dave. Um, Yeah, it's been almost 20 years uh, since my husband and I made our first mission trip to Honduras. Uh, We actually got connected to Honduras through a sister parish program at Prince of Peace Catholic Church in in Plano. They've had a wonderful program there, and um, it was really our first exposure on going on a mission trip at all and our first exposure to Honduras. And um, through that experience, we really came to know and love the children and families we met there and found a way with our friends in in North Texas uh, to really expand how we could serve our brothers and sisters in Christ in in Honduras um, through this way of of Friends Los Niños. And it's really about supporting children in need. And it just, that experience was truly life-changing for us. Uh, it led us through through lots of different paths to uh, to adopting our daughter and and also to uh, further expanding the um, the program with Friends of Los Niños. So it's just been an incredible experience for us. Yeah, there's a, a beautiful quote on the website uh, from you where you said, "I see the joy of Christ in the eyes of each child and in each family we serve in Honduras. We are blessed to be part of their lives." even for a short time. And I've heard this time and time again from people who go on mission trips. And uh, often people say, I think I got more out of it than the, the people I served because <laughs> even though they're poor and even though they're in, uh, you know, situations of poverty, it doesn't mean all of their joy is sapped, does it? No, absolutely not. And what we see time and time again um, for our, our missionaries that go go with us on these trips, I, I, I believe I've been on about, 50 now, mm. 50, 51 uh, mission trips over the, the last years. And um, every time it's really that experience of, you know, just truly being able to see God working in the presence of the of these families and these children, because uh, they don't have the distractions often that we do in, in our world. And, you know, when you remove those distractions, there's just really an openness to just be present and find the joy in in every day. And we have simple joys um, as we're down there. Most of our time that we're serving, uh, we do do some 
some physical projects like painting and, and some work on the facilities and things like that. But most of the time while we're down there, it's really about caring and working with the children, particularly in schools and tutoring centers. And so um, as we're working with these kids, it's just being present to them and particularly our our children in, in the orphanage. Uh, they just need to know that there are people out there that will love and care for them and pray for them. And just that one-on-one time uh, to be able to just dedicate time that's focused on them is just amazing to see the connections that people can make even even in a short time in a, a week-long mission trip it, it truly can be um, impactful for both the kids and our missionaries yeah tell us about the country of honduras uh, on the website there's a paragraph here about why supporting honduras is important and necessary looks like uh, there have been some natural disasters the coronavirus uh, pandemic hit them pretty hard um, a lot of poverty, you know, what, what, what exactly are the, the biggest needs for the, the people of the country? And what can you tell us about the country itself? Yeah, so in Honduras, it's uh, really the second poorest uh, country in, in Central America. And they have been struck, as you mentioned, with lots of natural disasters. So the way um, that many of the churches actually in Texas got involved with Honduras was after Hurricane Mitch um, many, many years ago. And with that, uh, the diocese were called to create those sister parish relationships where possible to, to again, support our brothers and sisters in Christ in, in Honduras after really some devastating um, damage from, from Hurricane Mitch. It really set the country back, I would say, 20 or 30 years in their development because they had to completely re-establish basic infrastructure, roads, things like that. Um, when... We were down there um, in 2009 when another earthquake hit. Uh, that was uh, pretty, very de- devastating as well, particularly the area um, where we serve, which is in El Progreso, Honduras. And in addition to that, they are in the path of many hurricanes. So unfortunately, last year they had two hurricanes in two weeks that caused tremendous amount of flooding. Um, we had uh, two of our homes in, in the community of Brazos de Salto where we where we serve uh, literally fall into uh, a river uh, because the uh, they, they were really shanties on, on the edge of a, of a cliff. So um, now the the people there just needed some support in how to to really make sure that the infrastructure is there um, to to be able to have safe and secure homes. In addition to that, um, the 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 natural disasters and such that are there. Uh, the other piece is they have a significant uh, problem with unemployment. Um, they actually have uh, opportunities for for education, although many of the children. Um, struggle with getting higher education because their parents may not have more than about a sixth grade education. Um, That has improved. Um, When we first started going there 20 years ago, the average was about a third grade education. Now the average is about a sixth grade education. Um, But what we're seeing is that, you know, there's still tremendous amount of support needed to, to, uh, to improve the educational situation for many children. Unfortunately, the coronavirus set that back many, many years because everything went virtual for more than a year. And in a poverty-stricken country without, poor, without good internet, without access to tools, that really what that meant was that many of those uh, children did not get proper education over the last year and a half. So they're just now getting back in person 
um, in their schools and, you know, helping to, to get caught up uh, where they can, where those, where those children really missed out on their education over the last year and a half. Yeah. So unemployment is a key thing. So sustainable employment um, and dealing with those natural disasters are key. Yeah. So, you know, friends of Los Niños, uh, in my limited knowledge of Spanish, I know it's uh, friends of the children, right? And yes, so you're really f- focused on the children. Uh, I see that 50% of the population is under 25. So it's a very young population there. And, um, uh, on the website, it talks about how, you know, the, just the different services that you all provide, um, from, uh, spiritual guidance, housing construction, education, medical treatment, nutritional fulfillment. Uh, there, there's a lot y'all are doing. So how, how often are you going? Do you, you bring people like who are listening right now who are willing to go with you or, uh, tell us a little bit more kind of the nuts and bolts of how Friends of Los Ninos operates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we we really support three programs in Honduras. One is the Coperme Orphanage, which is an orphanage um, in which uh, that is long-term living for children who either have been removed from their homes because of abuse or neglect or um, other situations or, or children who truly have been abandoned or um, no longer have parents. So those are long-term living situations where they need 24-7 care, uh, we work with them both for, you know, housing, support, education. Um, and then as those kids age out of that orphanage, we also have a transition program that helps them either with technical school, uh, creating their own business or going to university, depending on, again, aptitude as well as desires um, of the children. So it really is an all-encompassing program at the orphanage. In addition to that, the second program is their outreach program. So it's led by the orphanage, but it's really about how do we work with families in the neighborhoods, in the barrios that can keep the children intact with their families. So they, one, they don't end up in the orphanage and also those, um, children can get proper education and also again, some, some medical intervention. Often, uh, there are simple, there's simple medical needs that can be addressed um, that will prevent the child from having a more severe uh, medical situation. So we're, we really support that as well. And then finally, the third program is our Brisas de Falco um, program, which is a it was a community of squatters on the edge of town um, that we have been able to work with. Um, uh, they are just absolutely amazing. Um, actually, the Diocese of Austin, Texas, helped us uh, provide them with a grant to do a tilapia farm, which helped them bring in um, electricity and water to all of the, the homes. And then since that time, they were able to sell the tilapia, and that was able to generate enough funds to start the process of building a school. From there, we helped them complete the school. And so they now have a fully functioning school there in the community. And praise God, we've also been able to help them uh, work with the government to secure the land rights so they can no longer be um, forced off their land um, because, they, mm. again, they were squatter. So they now have rights to their land. Um, all of the families have put in sweat equity um, of, of 25 volunteer days to, uh, in order to receive the deeds to their land. Um, and through our Welcome Home Project, we're now working on the goal of building 193 homes. And praise God, we have been able to complete 54 of those in the last uh, 15 months. Um, and it's just amazing to see the the joy of the family that's 
been receiving a home, um, it's just incredible. Um, we had a 89 year old woman who, uh, just was sharing with me her story. She goes, Katrina, I thought, I thought I would die under a piece of 10. And instead I now have this home where I can be proud and, and live with dignity. So mm. it's just been an incredible, incredible experience to see the transformation and the pride that this uh, community takes um, in their, their homes and it's very much Catholic social justice teaching that we <laughs> that we uh, use in our in our program. So we are not there to do for them; we're to do with them. So while we're helping provide some resources, all of the labor and such uh, working on these homes come from the community. It comes from the village. They're in groups of of families that work together to to help each other um, get their homes built. And it's just been an incredible experience to be part of that. And then with our um, with all of these programs, we have a sponsorship program, and it allows uh, a family in the United States to uh, sponsor a, a a child in Honduras in one of these programs, um, and they get to know them, you know, through letters uh, for our Copreme, um sponsorship program because. Because the internet is good at the orphanage, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we can do also do Zoom calls. So this week we've actually been doing Zoom calls so that our sponsors actually get to meet face to face with a oh. translator with the with their um, sponsor child. So it's really an incredible opportunity um, for the sponsors to really get to connect with the child that they're sponsoring with and. We do mission trips about four to five times a year, so um, our sponsors and volunteers can also take the opportunity to go down and see exactly where where their funds are going. Is that is, is that uh, how your is that how your adoption occurred? And I, I think Gerilyn and her husband adopted from Honduras as well, as I recall. Did did it start off with a, a, a sponsorship, and you just fell in love with a kid and adopted, or how, how did that how did that turn out? Well, not exactly. So for Geraldine, yes, that's exactly what happened. And she, she was wonderfully uh, blessed to have uh, three amazing um, children who from Honduras that have, that have come home with her. And um, I happen to be godmother to one of those children. So uh, very, very blessed to, to have them um, uh, now with us in Texas. Uh, for myself, uh, actually, you know, I always say God, God works in such mysterious ways. He really used the experience that we had in Honduras. We attempted to adopt in Honduras. It's very difficult. Um, it's, it's one of the things that, again, as we look at, you know, what are the systemic things that, that need to change in the country? One of the challenges in Honduras is that they are not open to uh, foreign adoption. They're not option, uh, actually uh, much open to adoption, period. Um, so it's very difficult to do so. And so um, we had attempted to adopt in Honduras, and that was not possible. Um, but then, you know, through that experience, it in a very roundabout way, it led us to our daughter, who we actually ended up adopting from from China. But um, but my my kids, I have four kids in total, and and they've all gone with us on these mission trips, and uh, just an incredible experience to get to to share that with with my entire family. Yeah, that that is yeah. As I I hear you talk, I just have this idea, like boy, I would just love to pack up our family and go on one of these trips. And uh, since you're going four to five times a year, it sounds like there's plenty of opportunity for that as well. Um, when, you, when you talk about the uh, what's called the Padrino program, the child sponsorship, and you know, meeting the child and having Zoom calls, what, what are the levels of giving? Or how, what, what kind of a financial uh, uh, commitment would this be for a family? 
Yeah, we really try to make that um, in a way that is affordable for for everyone. So there's different levels of sponsorship. Uh, they go from thirty dollars um, up to a hundred dollars, just depending on uh, which sponsorship program you're looking at and the level of sponsorship you're able to give. So for as little as thirty dollars a month, you can really be supporting again the care and um, and education of a child. And is there uh, a way to sign up for that on the website, friendsoflosninos.org? Absolutely. If you go to our website, like you mentioned, friendsoflosninos.org, then you can get under our Get Involved tab. There are three sponsorship programs. And again, we have our orphanage, which is 24-7 support of children who do not have parents or are no longer able to be cared for by their parents. Uh, We also have the Copermate Outreach, which is those neighborhood intervention sites that allow us to focus on the education and keeping those families unified um, and keeping those kids out of the orphanage is our, is our goal there. Um, and then um, our Breezy Stuff Also program, which is a community um, where we're doing the housing project as well. Uh, but there we're focused on the education of the children. Okay. And when's the next time you're taking a a trip out there with uh, people? I think you said four to five times a year. Will there be anything uh, this summer or the fall or how many more this, this calendar year? Yeah, we have actually just in a few weeks on, I believe it's the 26th of, of July, we have a group that's going down. I'm personally taking down a group the first week of August. And then we have another, uh, both of those groups, I believe, are full. Um, our next group that uh, we still have openings for is our Thanksgiving week trip. And that is a fabulous trip because it's, it's when we go down and we bring down uh, gifts from our padrinos to our kids and do some special holiday um celebrations and Christmas parties for all of the kids in our programs and those families and also recognize the staff that works at the orphanage and do a special um, celebration for them and a chance for us to say thank you for them for all the care and love that they give the kids in the home. So it's a tremendous um, trip and always a a favorite of all of our (laughs) volunteers. And then by November, we'll also have all of the dates posted for next year as well. Uh, So we do encourage anybody that's interested in traveling with us to keep an eye on the website because we do um, post those trips. And we also have a Facebook page uh, for Friends of Los Niños where you can see uh, lots of pictures from our activities where we're down there for for groups and it really gives a flavor for the type of work that we do while we're down there. You mentioned the the support of the uh, Diocese of Austin. Uh, or do you work mm-hmm. with the either Diocese of Dallas or Fort Worth? And also, how about the the local um, you know diocese there in Honduras? Do you have a connection with them as well? Yes, so uh, absolutely. So we are an approved nonprofit by the Diocese of Dallas as well. And um, so we are happy to come out and speak at any parish, um, any of the the schools or anything like that, um, to talk about um, the the mission that we do. We we typically are present at some of the parishes during World Mission Sunday. Um, We have lots of opportunities to um, to help raise awareness about the needs for the people in Honduras, as well as obviously the work that we're doing there um, and how, again, we can be, you know, good brothers and sisters in Christ to, to our uh, 
friends and families um, in Honduras. So happy to work with them on that. And then also, and we've got a special uh, relationship with uh, St. Francis in, in Frisco. They've been uh, wonderful. We have a lot of padrinos <laughs> there in, in that parish. So shout out to them, um, as well as uh, some of our other parishes in the area. In addition, we would ask about the, the local um, diocese in, in Progreso, which is uh, the uh, it's the state of Yoro in, in Honduras, and we do work uh, very closely with them. Um, we had actually the, the um, bishop came out and did a mass for our orphanage because they just celebrated 33 years um, at the orphanage. So it was a wonderful opportunity to have a mass there at the orphanage. Uh, we also do have a program where we bring down uh, priests and deacons um, as part of our missionary trips um, anytime we can. So uh, if we have any of our clergy that's listening that would love to travel down with us, um, they are always appreciative uh, of, of clergy who can come down with them because down with our groups because often um, they may have uh, one priest that covers an enormous area so when we come down and can provide uh, some masses to some of the communities and some of the programs that we that we serve um, it's just it's a huge blessing to the diocese locally there in Honduras as well um, so they They've been wonderful supporters for us over the years. Yeah, I just love what you're doing. I can't help but think, you know, in, uh, in our day and age here in America where there's, you know, social media and there a lot, a lot of kind of focus on ourselves and our family and look what we're doing and this vacation. And, you know, that's all good and well. And there's a lot of good stuff about that. But it sounds like a great opportunity to just kind of step outside and do something that surprisingly will probably bless you tremendously, but do something good. And uh, I'm just so happy that you all are doing what you're doing. And I I just invite our listeners to uh, visit the website, consider being a Padrino program's child sponsor. Uh, You know, as um, uh, Katrina said, uh, anywhere from $30 to $100 a month, and you can do that. Also look into the Welcome Home Project where they're building homes. Uh, Just about a minute remaining, Katrina. Anything else that you'd like to convey to our listeners before we close out the interview? I would just say, um, as a mom and as a, a, a missionary myself, um, also I would love to encourage families to take that trip together. Uh, just being able to share that experience with your children. Um, I personally have brought most of my kids as they've started into their teenage years, um, and it's been incredibly formative. Uh, we do formation meetings before we uh, travel, so it kind of gives you a level setting of what to expect as well as talk about Catholic social justice teaching um, and our role as a volunteer in Honduras. So it's a wonderful way to kind of set that expectation as a family and just experience the the love of God in, in the children that we serve. Um, just an incredible experience and would encourage all of our families out there listening to to consider and, and pray about that. It's just an incredible experience. Uh, can, I can sense uh, the excitement in your voice. It sounds like uh, you just you were you were made for this, and and the fact the fact that you've you've been there fifty times uh, is is quite a quite a, quite a testimony. Uh, Katrina Villarreal is my uh, has been my guest. Uh, she serves as president of Friends of Los Niños, uh, friendsoflosninos.org. 
uh, is the website. And again, please check out the sponsorship program, the Welcome Home Project, uh, the three different levels of sponsorship, as as she mentioned, and maybe consider going out on a uh, trip to Honduras to help uh, the people in need uh, in one of these upcoming uh, ones, like the Thanksgiving one, she said, is, is a real special time. And uh, I do want to thank, of course, Gerilyn Kaminsky, our dear friend and uh, wonderful uh, friend and supporter of uh, Guadalupe Radio Network. And thank you for recommending this interview. And Katrina, thank you. Uh, and God bless you um, for, for all you're doing. And I hope many of our listeners will come and support you and, be, and get involved. Thanks so much. Bless you all. All right. Thank you. Thanks to Diane Xavier also for running the board. And uh, please let me know if you have other ideas for interviews. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.